I'm excited this morning that I get to share about Revelation again. I don't know about anybody else, but I am really <laughs> enjoying this because I've always looked at Revelation simply from the judgment of God's side, which it's easy to do. Amen? There's a lot of God's judgment and wrath being poured out. But it's like it's given me a new insight, a new revelation of His grace and His mercy. How merciful He is even in pouring out His judgment. How much mercy and grace and love was demonstrated in making a way for us to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. As I've shared before, I want to just say it again, especially for visitors who may, some may have not been in every meeting and teaching on Revelation so far. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 13. If you want to open your Bibles, I would encourage you to open it to chapter 13. Chapter 13 is a continuation of what's called a parenthetical section of Scripture. So it's not like it's a chronological section of Scripture. It's like a, a break in Revelation to give us insight and an overview of what's been taking place in this whole seven years of tribulation, especially the last three and a half years of tribulation. And in chapter 12, we were introduced to some main characters or players in this um, unveiling of Revelation, what's going to happen in the end times, in the vision that John was receiving from the Lord on the island of Hotmos. And we've went through a number of things. We've seen a lot of things. But I like to reiterate that when we come to these parenthetical sections, if you can just kind of step back a little bit and realize he's giving us information that will help clarify and bring more detail to the whole picture. But sometimes when we read it, we try to figure out, how did this fit in right here? Who stuck this? Why did, why did this come here? It's not chronological in every case. And also, for those that might be visitors or have, have not heard me say this before, there is all kinds of opinion and differing opinions on a lot of the symbolism of Revelation. And there is a lot of symbolism in Re Revelation. As I've said before, and I want to say again this morning, I'm not so concerned about what the symbols necessarily always represent. Because there is room to disagree. Lots of room. But what I am concerned about is the outcome of what these symbols do when they come on the scene. The judgment that's poured out. The events that take place. They're made clear to us, even though the symbols aren't always made clear. And also I want to stress once again that I am a believer in the pre-tribulation rapture. And I know not all of you are. And that's okay. As I usually say, if you want to be wrong, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's lots of theologians who don't agree on these points. And I've tried to lay out why I believe in a pre-trib rapture. I believe the church is gone during these seven years for the reasons I've been mentioning as we've been going through it. And I'll even point out a couple more reasons today as we go through it. But we don't have to agree on all those things. That's okay. But what I would encourage you is, whatever position you take on some of those things, know why you take it from the biblical perspective. There's room for disagreement because of so much symbolism. I get it. But the important thing is, you're just not grabbing hold to a position because somebody spoke at once. I don't want anybody to grab the pre-trib position just because I said it. I want you to dig into this and discover for yourself what you think the truths are for you. If God wanted to make it clear, He would have. Amen? The title of my message this morning is The Trinity of Evil. A Trinity of Evil. 
Well, you hopefully all understand and know by now that Satan is a liar, a deceiver, and a counterfeiter. We as Christians understand we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Different attributes, different character traits, it seems, different responsibilities in the Godhead, it seems, but the three are one, one God. Satan even tries to mimic the Trinity. And we're going to see that clearly, I believe, today as we look at chapter 13. Chapter 12, we were introduced, as I said, to some of the the players in this scene as it's unfolding. One was the woman. And the woman is made clear to us in Scripture because it tells us that the woman represents Israel. Israel. So at this point, there will be another woman later on, but up to this point, when you see that, think the nation of Israel first. We were then introduced to the red dragon. And the red dragon is who? Satan. He is Satan. Satan and the Antichrist are not the same thing. A lot of times people seem to be confused on that. Satan is not the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a human being, I believe, who will be possessed by Satan. But we'll see this difference made clear today. So the dragon is the devil. And then we had the male child, which is Jesus. And then we also were introduced to Michael, the archangel. Today we're going to be introduced to a couple more of the big players on the dark side as we look at this. In chapter 12, we also saw a war on earth, war in heaven amongst the angels when, when Satan was kicked out of heaven for the last time and then he came back to earth to war against the woman and the church, the church that was being formed at that time. And we saw that when he was kicked out, we are warned in chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. One of the things I grab from that is, even in the end times, even though he knows he is defeated, he is going to do everything in his power to deceive, to lie, to steal, and to prevent anybody and everybody that he can from worshiping the one true God even when he knows he's defeated. And I believe as the end time is approaching, which I believe it is, obviously, he's going to intensify his attacks and intensify his attempts to deceive people. And towards the very end of chapter 12, we see where he comes back to earth, he's cast out of heaven, and he's going to go after the woman, Israel. And we see that Israel, the woman then, is somehow or other taken and transported to a place of safety where God supernaturally protects them. And this makes the devil angry, filled with rage at the end of chapter 12. And chapter 12 ends, chapter 13 begins, and really remember in the original writings there's not chapter breaks. Verse 1 follows that chapter 12, the last verse where it says, And the dragon was enraged, with the woman, and he went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. He's enraged. And then chapter 13 opens up with a John seeing in his vision the dragon standing on the sands of the seashore. And he sees a beast, a beast from the sea, come up out of the sea. I'm going to read in chapter 13, starting at verse 1. 
And as we look through this, one more reminder. Remember, one of Satan's, if not his primary goal or his greatest desire, it is close, is to be like God and to be worshipped as if he was God. That's what the sin that got him and kicked out of heaven the first time. He wanted to be like God. He wanted the angels to worship him. And he was so good at lying and deceiving, a third of the angels followed him. So that's his ultimate goal. And as we look at chapter 13 that's taking place, remember that in the back of your mind that his goal is for everyone to worship him. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. And he stood on the sand of the seashore, the dragon, the devil. And in his vision, then this is what John sees. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten crowns, or diadems, and on his heads, heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of the heads if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. There's that three and a half years again. That was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If, anybody, if anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Before I go on, I want you to just look at verse 9 again. This is just one of those little tidbits that re- reinforces my position that the church is not present. Remember that phrase there, if anyone has ear, let him hear. Remember it from the early chapters in chapter 2 and chapter 3 to the seven letters to the church? What did it say every time? What did it say over and over? If anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. It doesn't say that here. Because I believe the church is gone. It's been raptured. When we look at this, the origin, first of all, of the beast from the sea. The origin of the beast. When we read this phrase, from the sea, the dragon is standing on the seashore and John is seeing this in a vision. And then he sees the beast coming up out of the sea. Even the way it's phrased, the coming up out of the sea, it's not like he exploded out of the sea. It's like there's a coming up to give you a picture of of gradually coming to the surface. And we need to understand as we look at this beast, where did he come from? Where is he going to come from? Well, the word sea in the Bible has demonstrated different meanings. One of the primary places in Scripture or primary ways it's defined in Scripture is it's a representation of masses of people. Primarily, in most cases, Gentile nations of people. And when I look at that, I see him coming out of the sea. 
if I look at it from that particular meaning, it's as if he's going to be raised up gradually out of a large Gentile group of people. And I believe the scriptures in Daniel and Ezekiel and Thessalonians give us a great picture that he's going to come out of the ten revived kingdoms of the original Roman Empire. Out of this revised kingdom, it's going to have people from tribes and nations, different languages from this part of northern Africa and Europe. Uh, he's coming up out of the sea and it gradually, and we'll look at that in just a minute. Another primary meaning in, the, in the, the word sea in ancient times when they would make reference to the sea, it was reference to chaos, crises, like a raging sea. And we see and should hopefully understand when the Antichrist, the beast from the sea, is coming to power, it's a gradual process. He comes out of a people group and he comes in a time of crises and chaos taking you all the way back to remember when the first seal was opened? The first seal was a white horse, white horse representing peace. The rider on that white horse had a bow in his hand, but there was no arrow for the bow, representing that he had no weapon that he was going to use, but yet it says he had a crown and he was a conqueror. The Antichrist, coming out of a group of people, came in a time of crises and chaos, and he came as a, probably a smooth-talking, charismatic, magnetic leader to bring the nations of the world together in peace during this time of chaos in the first part of the tribulation. It would take a process. It would take some time. The diplomacy. When we read this, we sometimes think backwards into biblical times and we think of him wearing robes and walking around in sandals. This is future. It's future even from us. We're not in the tribulation. These people are not going to be running around in robes unless they're the two witnesses that we've talked about earlier. These are going to be contemporary, modern people who are going to be in peace negotiations. It's all going to take place and it's all going to look good. It's all going to sound good because it has to deceive the world. But it's a false peace. It's a phony peace. After three and a half years, the peace comes to an abrupt halt. And then literally all hell breaks loose. We'll see this as we continue forward. The Antichrist coming to power slowly. His spiritual origin, that's where he comes from physically. What's his spiritual origin? Satan, the devil. I believe he is ultimately possessed. Remember when when uh, Judas betrayed, betrayed Christ and the scripture says that, and the devil entered into him and caused him to do what he did. In the other place in scripture we, we see Judas uh, called the son of perdition, the son of evil. I believe ultimately the Antichrist, this person, is going to be possessed by the devil. He is not Satan. He is the son of perdition. He is going to be as would the devil incarnate. Start to sound familiar to the real holy trinity. The devil. The beast from the sea. The antichrist. His origin from the dragon. He's not the dragon. And I, you probably maybe get this, but I want to reiterate it. 
They're very similar. In, in chapter 12, verse 3, when it talked about the dragon, the devil, it said he had seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads. Now what we just read in chapter 13, the ant, the, the, this beast from the sea or the Antichrist has ten horns, seven heads, and ten crowns. Very similar. If you read them quickly, it sounds like you said the same thing. They're distinctly different, yet very similar. I believe it's because it's the mindset of Satan. He's not Satan, but he is nothing but a pawn of the devil. He is deceived. His power and authority comes from the devil. Remember when Jesus was taken into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil? Anybody remember the third temptation? Look in all the kingdoms of the earth. They can all be yours. I will give you power and authority to rule over all of them. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. It's been Satan's goal from the beginning to have people bow down and worship him. And the Antichrist, a representation of Satan, is ultimately going to declare himself to be God and demand that all people worship him. His power and authority comes from his father, so to speak, the devil. Remember Jesus when he walked on earth? He declared openly, all power and authority has been given to him by the father. The counterfeit, the deception of the holy versus the evil is so clear as we look at it from this perspective. What is he like? His origin, his attributes. When we read verse 2, we hear these things about a leopard. We hear these things about the bear. And we hear these things about the lion. You may recall, and we're not going to go there, but again, if you look back into the prophecies in Daniel, the leopard was the kingdom of the Greek Empire. Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire and conquering quickly. And, and then we had the the bear, the Medo-Persian Empire that followed. And he's looking back in time. This can be confusing. When it's prophesied in the Old Testament by Daniel, he was looking forward, so he listed the kingdoms in one order. And now we're looking backwards, and they're listed in reverse order. It's not a contradiction of Scripture. It's a matter of perspective. So he sees the Greek, like the, the leopard. He sees the Bear, the Medo-Persian Empire, powerful, strong. And then he sees the Babylonian Empire as the lion. And he makes reference to this, and it says the fourth kingdom, which is going to be the kingdom of the Antichrist, is going to make these look like they were nothing. It's like it's going to take all the evil and all the power that they had and it's going to take the worst attributes of it and the most powerful attributes of it, and it's going to manifest in the kingdom of the Antichrist. Let me read to you how it's described by Daniel in chapter 7. He's looking forward now, and he's talking about this fourth kingdom, the kingdom of the Antichrist. And he says these words, I kept looking in this night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrifying, extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. 
all the authority and the power of this beast that's ruling this kingdom is coming directly from Satan. And it's being allowed to take place by God. The whole time we need to realize Satan seems to be in control. He seems to be winning. And the whole time, unbeknownst to Satan, Satan, he is nothing but a pawn in God's plan. God's plan of his wrath being poured out on those who reject Christ, his son. In verse 8, we read where he proclaims himself to be a God and demands worship of everyone on the earth. And it says that everyone on the earth will worship him. Remember the scripture where it said that, that uh, who can war against him? What ha- one of the false miracles that took place that we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but one of the false miracles that took place that's mentioned here is this Antichrist received a fatal appearing wound. And this wound, however it came, probably an assassination attempt by others trying to take his power, but he appeared as dead. I do not believe he was dead. I do not believe that the devil has the power to create life but I do believe he has the power to deceive and he's really good at it. I believe it was a fatal wound as unto death. But the world, remember, we're talking future. Can you imagine the TV coverage, the internet coverage, and whatever else technology that hasn't been developed yet, coverage of this event, and all of a sudden, this world leader that everybody had looked to who was going to bring peace to the whole world is laying as if he's dead. And then all of a sudden, he's raised from that apparent death. And it says the whole world will worship Him. We are such a visual creation. When we see something, there is something in us that tells us it's real. It's true. That's why there's so many warnings and cautions in Scripture about testing and discerning signs and wonders do not necessarily mean God is doing anything. The devil, and we're going to see his false prophet in just a minute, were doing all kinds of miracles. But they were all false. The beast is called to be worshipped by everyone. We have the dragon, Satan. We have the beast from the sea, the Antichrist. And now we're going to be introduced to the third member of this trifecta. And he's not called this in chapter 13, but you would see it in chapter 19, verse 20. It's made clear. It tells us exactly who he is, and it calls him the false prophet. The Antichrist was the political leader of the world. As the political world becomes one government, there is also going to be a raising up of one worldwide religion. And the false prophet is going to be the leader of that religion. What's it going to look like? I don't know. For sure. But there are so many things out there that we could look at. The concept of universalism, science, philosophy, environmentalism. I believe they're all going to be wrapped into this world religion. And I personally believe the foundations are already being laid. So the beast, this time, 
from the earth. Starting in verse 11. And I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in this presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. 666. And it's interesting to me that we can hear more about the number 666 out in the world than we do in churches. It's like churches don't want to talk about it. The world that's out there, people worshiping the beast, getting tattoos of 666 on their bodies. They don't understand what it represents. The beast, as I said, is called the false prophet in Revelation 19, verse 20. Notice it says he looks like a lamb. He's got two little horns like a lamb. Again, he comes in a false representation. It's called the beast, but he looks like a lamb. Probably a very pious, religious, smooth-talking religious leader. But he speaks like a beast. doesn't mean he growls. It means whatever he speaks lines up with what the beast, the Antichrist, wants, which is nothing less than what Satan himself wants. So what comes out of his mouth, no matter how sweet it sounds, it's satanic. This is the truest picture we will see of a wolf in sheep's clothing. He appears to be something that he is not. And his goal, and we just read in verses 12 to 15, his primary mandate is to do this, direct worship to the Antichrist. His purpose is to draw people to the Antichrist, which in my mind gives me such a clear picture of a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's primary mandate is to draw people to Jesus and to bring glory and honor to Jesus. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We now see Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet as a counterfeit, an evil trinity, if you would. False signs and wonders. Paul in Thessalonians, when he writes about this, he says it this way. That is, the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. He's speaking prophetically about the Antichrist. And he says, he will come with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth 
but took pleasure in wickedness. Gives a picture of what's taking place, and this is also for those who may have missed this. I do believe people get saved during the tribulation. I believe the people that get saved during the tribulation are those that have never heard the true gospel. I believe those that have heard the true gospel and rejected it do not get a second chance. And this is one of the primary scriptures I would stand on. They rejected the truth. They preferred the lies. They preferred to live their own way. And God gives them a deluding influence that they cannot see the fallacy or the falsehood of the demonic, the satanic, the beast. That's what I believe. You need to decide for yourselves what you believe. Signs and wonders, one of the two primary ways he draws people to the Antichrist. The second way is the mark of the beast. 666 or something. What is this? 666. Well, anybody know that there's been a little speculation about what 666 represents? There's been all kinds. They have taken numbers and assigned letters to the numbers to try to come up with who this is. People have been looking for the Antichrist for centuries. Did you know that? The first one of the first people that they thought was the Antichrist was Caesar Nero, way back in the Roman Empire times. Since then, if you're my age or close, some of these names will be very familiar to you, and they were all accused of being the Antichrist at times during their life on earth. Here's just a few. Adolf Hitler. That one's kind of easy to understand. I believe there was satanic influence to say the least. But then some of them, not so clear. Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Henry Kissinger, Prince Charles, the Pope, Mikhail Gorbachev, all in recent years have been accused of being the Antichrist because someone came up with a way of identifying them. How, when I was, well, whatever age I was, Mikhail Gorbachev. If you remember, Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan. Peace was coming. The wall was coming down. The Cold War was ending. And Mikhail Gorbachev was this great man of peace. And we knew he was the Antichrist. Not only because of who he was. He was a Russian. Right? Got to be an Antichrist. He was talking about peace. That's the Antichrist. And how many of you remember what he looked like? God, the rest of you, I should have had a picture. He was bald on the top of his head. And he had a dark birthmark right here. That fatal head wound that he was brought back to life somewhere in the Siberian wilderness. Seriously, this is what happens when man's imagination gets carried away and we get too far from the Word of God is. We don't really know. We know it's the number of a man. You know, in biblical numerology, and again, I don't really get hung up on that, but there are some numbers that seem to have a meaning. And one of them, and according to what it says here, the number six is the number of a man. Number seven seems to be the number of God, God's number, the number representing completeness and perfection. The number six will never become number seven. It can never match up with number seven. Man was created on the sixth day. On the seventh day they rest and rest in the Lord. Man could never achieve salvation. Only complete and perfect Christ could do it. I don't know. The symbolism of the number, I don't know. And all of the imaginations that we come up with may be interesting, but I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. But what I do care about is this. 
I don't know who he is, but I know what his goal is. His goal is to deceive and draw people to the Antichrist. And he used it with signs and wonders, and that evidently doesn't work well enough. Now he says, we're going to put a mark on you, and you cannot buy and you cannot sell anything without the mark of the beast. And by putting the mark of the beast on your body, you are going to acknowledge that you worship the beast, the Antichrist, the beast of the sea, the beast of the earth, the false prophet, is drawing people, (laughs) forcing people, to the Antichrist. And this is the goal all along is Satan wants people to bow down and worship him. And if signs and weathers don't get you to do it voluntarily, the mark of the beast will force you to. If you don't take it, you can't buy, you can't sell. I remember, God, I hate it now that I'm almost the oldest one in here. But I remember when we'd talk about the mark of the beast. How are they going to make that happen? What are they going to do? You know, some of you that are prehistoric like me, you can remember when you went to a grocery store and somebody sat there pushing all the buttons, totaling up what your bill cost. And then we heard this rumor that there was going to be something. You could just slide your product across it and it would tell you what it cost. And we're like, no way. See how old I am? So the only way we could figure out the mark of the beast, we're all going to go to a tattoo shop on the corner. And get the tattoo, 666, here or here. Now just think of the technology. On a microchip that you can hardly see, they could put your whole life history and medical history, all the information on you, and they can insert it under your skin or whatever they want to do with it, and they'd know everything. So what's it going to be? I don't know. But I do know those that have the opportunity to take it or resist it, best resist. Because no one will enter the kingdom of heaven with the mark of the beast on their body. Because that means you rejected Christ. You rejected the one true God. And you are bowing down and worshiping the anti-Christ. One of the other things that's always been interesting, and I'll just say interesting, to speculate about is, if the anti-Christ and the false prophet are human beings, as I say they are, and I believe the word shows that, that means they could be alive today. You know, they're not going to come out of the womb and be growing mature people. Wonder where they are. Are they out there? I don't know. But I do know this, from the Scripture, from the Bible itself, the Antichrist may not be alive, the, the false prophet may not be alive yet, but the spirit of the Antichrist is in the earth today. It's already here. And it's been here for a long time. 1 John 4, 1 through 3 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist is already working in the world, preparing for the real Antichrist, preparing the world to accept the false prophet. And it's been in place for a long time. 1 John 2.18, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. 
I believe there's probably been people that Satan was trying to get this thing started before God's time was right. I very well believe Hitler could have been an antichrist, an anti-Semitic. He hated the Jews, executing them, evil, vile. He came to, came to reign. You ever wonder how a guy like Hitler can come to lead the nation? Germany was in a state of crises and chaos following World War I. And here come this charismatic, magnetic personality, and he got a whole nation to buy into his lies and deception and killed over a million, six million Jews. Could have been the Antichrist or Satan's attempt because none of this is ever going to take place except for God's perfect timing. Perfect timing. In 2 John verse 7, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. So what do you do with all this? Well, it's interesting, I hope. But what are we supposed to do? Why, why did Jesus, why did God have this revelation written in the book of the Bible? It's not just to entertain. It's not for just for us to argue about what our positions are and what the symbolism is. He has a purpose. So what are we supposed to do with this? What should we do with this? What does it mean for us? How should we live? I'll give you three things that I think are critical. Whether the Antichrist comes while we're still on the earth, and I hope that's none of you, because I believe the church is gone when he shows up. But first is this. Renew your mind by the Word of God. Renew your mind by the Word of God. If you talk to people about counterfeit, what do they tell you to study? Not the counterfeit, the real. Satan is a liar, a deceiver, and a counterfeiter. And if you want to be able to recognize him, get to know the real deal. Study the Word of God. Know the Word of God. 1 Peter 1, 13, 14 says, Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. If I am totally wrong about when the rapture takes place, and if I have to live through the whole tribulation, I can go through that with peace in my heart knowing God is faithful, His grace and mercy is going to protect His church. Even if I'm martyred, I'm going to go to heaven. But I don't believe that. So we'll get back to my story. Second thing that I think we need to do, and I don't know how to word it any better than this, is simply value, esteem, treasure, truth. Treasure, truth. Above all else, stand on, believe in, take hold of truth. The Word of God is truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Gee, I wonder when that's going to happen. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. John 8, 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the true truth will set you free. We need to treasure truth. You know, the devil, the Antichrist, is going to use signs and wonders, false signs and wonders. I like signs and wonders. I want God to move by the power of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders. 
I want to see it. I believe He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe all of that. But signs and wonders are not necessarily representations of truth. There can be people, false prophets, false teachers, teaching heresy that's not doctrinal. But if signs and wonders are following, it's amazing what people will put up with in the area of bad doctrine. We'll follow the signs and wonders even if the doctrine's eh, a little wishy-washy. I know they're a little shaky over here, but they're pretty good over here. Treasure truth. We will be deceived. And the deception gets greater and greater and greater. Be in the Word. Transform your mind. Treasure truth. It's not popular. It's not popular to stand on truth in our culture in a lot of areas of what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear on some truths that churches today will not declare as truth. Sexual immorality, number one, probably. All life is of value. I could go down the list and churches, pastors, preachers will not speak the truth. They get asked on national television questions that give them the opportunity to declare the truth and they will not speak the truth. We need to, as believers, treasure the truth no matter what. God will honor the truth and it says the truth is what sets us free. We sang about freedom. Oh, golly, do I love the freedom we have in Christ. And it's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth of God that declares who I am in Christ. My freedom doesn't come from me just feeling better today. Freedom comes from knowing I am the child of God that we sang about. I am not what I used to be. And I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm way better because I've been set free of so many of these bondages from the Word of God. We do not have to live in oppression or depression. My esteem doesn't come from what somebody else thinks of me. Why? Because the Bible tells me I'm a child of God created in His image, loved unconditionally. I want you to like me, but if you don't, I'm okay with that. Because I know who I am in Christ. And hopefully we all know who we are in Christ. Know the truth. And lastly, and they kind of all run together, really, but the third one is simply this. Don't live by what you see. Our eyes will deceive us. There are entertainers that have become millionaires because people believe what they see and they can't see the illusion. They call it magic. It's not magic. It's an illusion. They're making you think you see something that's not true. And it's not that hard to do. Don't believe everything you see. Satan is really good and very capable at manipulating circumstances. You know, we, we read in there where the false prophet is going to call fire down from heaven. Kind of a picture of Elijah the prophet. Man, some guy calls fire down from heaven and then tells me to go worship the beast. Wow, it must be God. No, it doesn't have to be God at all. So we need to be in the Word, know the real deal so we can recognize the counterfeit. We need to treasure truth no matter what. And we need to not let what we see determine the way 
he lived. The evil trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And when the Antichrist receives worship, Satan is receiving worship. When they bow down to the Antichrist, they're bowing down to Satan. He's getting what he wants. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you gave us the Word of God, your Word, that we would be informed. God, that we are called to be aware. We are called to be watchmen. We are called to be observing the seasons. Father, even as we look around us and we see so much evil, such compromise in the area of truth, Father, we can't help but know that the end is near. We don't know when, but we know who you are. And Father, we're so thankful that we can stand and declare that the victory has already been won through Jesus Christ, your Son. He conquered sin on the cross. He conquered death through his resurrection. And we have been declared your sons and your daughters and righteous in your sight. And we need to persevere and we need to stand strong for the truth. I pray, God, that you would give each of us greater revelation of your word, understanding of your word. Draw us by your Holy Spirit to your word. Holy Spirit, draw us to the word that we might know Jesus better. Father, I praise you and thank you for the love and goodness you demonstrate towards us. I pray now, Lord, as we leave this morning, we go our different directions, that we are sensitive to your leading, your promptings, your Holy Spirit. We pray your protection over us. We continue to pray for those divine appointments where we can share the love and the hope of Jesus. We ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen.